so glad that you are here this morning. We're kicking off a new series this morning. Um, but, you know, speaking of music, I was thinking about music this week, and I was thinking about the ways that we listen to music, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of going back through, through the history of li- listening to music, right? So there was a time period where you could only go in person to hear someone. And, and then eventually, um, you know, there was the radio, and then there became um, vinyl records, which my wife and I uh, got a vinyl record player recently. And uh, in fact, I think probably my best gift I got her for Christmas this year was Shania Twain's Greatest Hits on vinyl. So, yeah. Thank you. I know. This is your opportunity to remind her how blessed she is later, okay? You know, and then, then it transitioned into um, cassette tapes and then eight-track players and then CD players. And then um, I remember in particular, before we got to the streaming services that we have today, I remember in particular when I was in middle school and high school, it was sort of the, the, the time of MP3s, right? When iPods and, and anyone remember the Zune and other sort of um, MP3 players were out there. And, and there, were, there were different ways to get your music, right? Now, if, um, if you were um, not only a, a sinner, but also someone who probably had a virus on their uh, parents' uh, computer, you had LimeWire. Anyone have LimeWire? Woo! Woo! I am glad that you are here this morning. God's grace is for you as well. Uh, some of you are sitting here thinking, like, I had kids kind of similar to age to you. That is why it ran so slow and why it eventually died. Now... I was a good Christian pastor's kid who knew I couldn't have LimeWire, so I went to my friend um, Mikey or Denny's house who had it, okay? But if you wanted to be on the up and up, if you wanted to be legit, uh, you would go to something like the iTunes store. Now, I remember when I was in middle school, high school age, there was like nothing sweeter, nothing more um, beautiful, nothing more smelled like opportunity than like a $10 iTunes gift card. And so, essentially, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, what it would be is you could go online to the iTunes store on your computer, and you could buy all sorts of different songs. And they were 99 cents when it first started. Eventually, they moved up to $1.29, which, what a weird, thank you. Um, But so, if you got a $10 gift card, you would get, you know, like 10 songs or whatever, plus there'd be a little bit left over. And if you were like me, um, the rush of getting an iTunes gift card was the fact that I was probably not going to get, um, like, just one full album. I wasn't that interested in that. I was interested in finding the most interesting combinations of songs. And so, when I would get an iTunes gift card, I would go from getting, like, the latest worship song that I heard at a conference that I thought was cool to, like, uh, like, an 80s R&B type, you know, like love song um, to like an emo song to then probably some rap songs that my grandma would not be proud of me for listening to. And it would kind of stream the gamut. But when I first ever got one, I was, you know, when, when you start something new that you're unfamiliar with, you sometimes are not always making the most um, excellent choices because you're not really sure what's going on. And so I decided on my very first first iTunes gift card, one of the songs that I knew I wanted was a song by the Beatles. And one of my brother's best friends was a huge Beatles fan, and I remember fondly listening to um, all his different Beatles CDs as we drive to Lake Michigan during the summers. And probably my favorite song by the Beatles is one I guarantee if we sing it, we're going to sing it together right now, I guarantee you're going to know it. All right, are you guys ready? So when I point to you, that's, that's your moment that you're, if you've ever wanted to be on the worship team, like me, this is your moment. 
na 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 Everyone loves that part, right? So I love that song, and I was like, I can't wait to get this, and then I can, you know, be rocking with my headphones on. And so I Google, I search in the iTunes store, Hey Jude. I don't do a lot of research or looking around, and I see the first one that I can buy, and I click buy, okay? And then it takes, you know, because there probably was dial-up internet still at the time, and if you don't know what dial-up is, look for someone, you know, who looks like they have back problems or in their 30s, and they'll explain. And what would happen is it would take like five minutes and it'd download, and then finally you were off, and you could either listen on your computer or you could upload it to your iPod. And so... I finally get it downloaded, and I click start. And, you know, some songs, especially older songs, I feel like had longer intros. And so for the first 30 seconds or so, I'm like, man, I do not remember this intro being this long. And then it got to about a minute, and I'm like, wow, they really ramped this one up to get it going. And then when it got to about the fourth minute, I realized I had made a horrible chance, a horrible mistake. You see, eventually I did start hearing the na, 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 and that was about it. You see, what I had done, what I had failed to realize at that point is the Beatles had not made their catalog available to be downloaded online at all. Uh, Instead, what I had accidentally bought, well, I guess I just wasn't wise enough to look, is I bought a Beatles tribute band's karaoke version of Hey Jude, (laughs) where the only actual words involved in the song was na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Let me just tell you, I did not listen to that song on uh, my iPod very often. It was one of those moments, right, where you realize that you made a horrible mistake. You feel a little bit foolish, and you hopefully learn to be wiser the next time. This morning, as we enter into this new year, we're beginning a new series uh, that, no, that is not me or Pastor Cole's uh, profile, although we thought about trying to work on that. But it's called Beginning with Wisdom, and it's a study of the book of James. And we wanted to start off this year thinking about wisdom, because when I look at our world, our world, as always, is chaotic. There's things constantly shifting and changing. As I look towards the fact that we're, we're entering into election year, woohoo! can't wait for all the family gatherings, right? As I look into uh, this world where we continue to deal with just kind of some uncertainty in our world and our economy, all of those sort of things, one of the things that I believe is going to be extremely important for followers of Jesus to do is to seek wisdom. And not only seek wisdom, but actually live out wisdom. Because I believe that one of the greatest ways that we can actually be a person of hope and peace, to be a light in a dark world, is by actually living out the words and the teachings of Jesus. And so this, this morning, we're going to begin this um, series that we're going to be in in the month of January. We're going to be walking through the book of James. We're going to go generally line by line, so some of it may feel a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. One of the ideas also is for this fact that we know that one of the greatest ways that we can learn and grow as followers of Jesus is to dive into God's word, which brings us wisdom that helps us live a life in a world that really uh, is not set up for us to have success oftentimes. And so one of the things we have to do when there's lots of things that are not 
firm and steady is lean on a God in his wisdom that is. Now, James, when he wrote this, heavily is influenced by a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs and also the teachings of Jesus, in particular from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before we get into um, uh, James, I want to read this verse from Proverbs that kind of sets the table for this series and it sets the table for the book of James. It says this in Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. There's a huge um, reality that if we desire to not be a mocker or as what is uh, commonly referred to throughout the Old Testament, a fool, One must lean into wisdom, and the ultimate kind of test of wisdom, the ultimate kind of place for wisdom for us is trusting in God at his word and doing what he says. Now, to kind of set the table for us as we're going to talk about wisdom, wisdom is a big word. There's all sorts of definitions out there from much smarter men and women than me, but here is sort of my small, tiny, um, easy-to-digest definition for wisdom as a biblical perspective as follow Jesus. Wisdom is knowing and living out God's ways. Wisdom is knowing and living out God's ways. Now, both of these are important because if you do not know his ways, it's going to be really difficult to live out his ways. But there is a lot of people who I have met in my life who know the ways of Jesus, but don't live the way of Jesus. In fact, some of us would say, like, that's cute, That's not real. But I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was a um, pastor in the past, and he said this, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great as a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use the knowledge is to have wisdom. So in this series, what we want to do is as we look through this book, this kind of letter that, that, that James wrote to the church at large, full of kind of just um, some of his best punches of wisdom that he has gleaned um, through the study of Scripture, through the life and the teaching and the example of Jesus, uh, my hope and prayer is that we would be willing to be people who would not just take this knowledge and sort of say, like, here it is, but that would get internalized into our hearts And it would work its way down into our feet and our hands so that way our life actually reflects the wisdom that we proclaim is good. Because again, I really believe, in particular for our church community, but the larger church, that I think people are hungry and they are thirsty for truth and direction in a world that is just kind of chaotic and disproportionate. And I really believe that followers of Jesus, we have a huge opportunity that if we could actually live this out we would see sons and daughters who have strayed far from their Heavenly Father come back home. So let's dive in this together. As we, as we begin, I want to give kind of some, um, some fast facts on the book of James. Sometimes it's important before we dive into the words to kind of understand the larger picture. So one thing that's important to understand is who wrote this. Um, scholars debate on there being some possibilities of different people, but most scholars land on, and I would as well, land on that James, the author of the book of James, is James, the half-brother of Jesus. 
I say half-brother because God wasn't his daddy like Jesus is. So, you know, blended family. See, there you go. And he was an early church leader in Jerusalem. He would have been um, where many of the early disciples um, would have, would have kind of came up and they went out and, and, and kind of spread the good news elsewhere. James stayed local. Now, it's important to recognize James, just like most all of Jesus' family, during Jesus' earthly ministry, as far as we can tell, was not a follower of Jesus, did not believe in his messianic uh, title and all those things, which this is why James is one of the most important books of the Bible to me, because I'm just going to tell you what, I have two older brothers, and if either of those two started talking like they were God, oh my goodness, would I not believe. (laughs) And I kind of say that as a joke, but I also say that as a reality, like to get someone who you saw growing up... um, that you eventually came to believe like this guy really is who he says he is, he had to be incredibly convinced. Now, his audience that he writes to is sort of the church at large. In particular, um, he has sort of a soft spot and sort of a calling uh, to reach those who are Jews who become Christians. Now, uh, I say that he wrote it at large because oftentimes when we read different um, books in the Old Testament that are letters, things like Romans or Ephesians or uh, Philippians, these are oftentimes letters that someone like, like the Apostle Paul wrote to a specific group of people for a certain situation at a certain time. And again, we glean wisdom from all of those things. But James, again, was sort of written as like, here's his greatest hits, send it out. And so when we read it, we recognize that this, there's no sort of like, well, are we sure he's talking to me here? Feels like this was probably just for this certain segment of people. This is one that is for all of us. And the reason kind of he wrote it uh, was to encourage believers to persevere through hard times by relying on Christ and his wisdom. Now, I, I, I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to, to pause for a moment, okay? When I read about persecution and persevering and trials, there is this reality that sometimes what we view as trials in our modern day are laughable in comparison to James and early followers of Jesus. Oftentimes when we talk about trials and and persecution, if we're honest, we're just mad that someone said we couldn't like have a cross somewhere. Oftentimes when they are talking about trials and persecution, they are literally talking about losses of jobs, physical harm, death, all of these sort of things. Now I'm not negating the trials that we deal with, but again, when I think about what they are speaking to when he's encouraging these followers who are going through something big, there's part of me that like takes a little bit of perspective and, and swallows a little bit of my, my, my pride of just like frustration, and some of it kind of makes me just want to suck it up a little more. Because when he writes some of these words, I have to recognize that he is talking about a very different world and a very different reality than what I was dealing with. And then what becomes even more incredible to me is how he lived out his faith in spite of that. And if I'm honest, there's an inventory I take that part of me is like, man, you kind of look like a Weenie Hut Jr. person here because you're throwing a fit over something pretty small in comparison. So let's dive in. Uh, In James, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to be reading from um, the NIV translation. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, But we're going to work through this, and we're going to Read chunks, stop and talk about it. Read chunks, stop and talk about it. And I'll give a few parting thoughts at the end. 
So James begins by just sort of giving a greeting, and then he gets right into it. James does not mince his words. He's not really one of those who likes small talk or fluff. This is just kind of pure in there. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I will be really honest. There's part of me that really, like, if I could meet James, I'd feel a little condescending at times of my life where I'd be like, well, you consider pure joy, blah, blah, blah. Like, James, shut up. Come on, man. Let me be mad. Let me, let me feel like, oh, I was was taken advantage of. I was injustice. But I love this, that he gives us these words of basically like, hey, you might need to suck it up a little bit. Like, consider it pure joy. Change your perspective. Because at the end of the day, everything that happens, even the hard things, God uses for his good. You know, I, I was thinking this week as I was reading through these uh, verses again, just this reality of our culture. And we live in a culture that invites every single one of us to be able to identify as a victim. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that there's not times where we are victims. But our, our culture often invites us to see ourselves as victims when we experience opposition in general. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it reminds us that opposition is an invitation to trust and grow. That there's this invitation for us to change our mindset. That we can change our mindset, and rather than every time something doesn't go well, it doesn't mean not everything is a sign, not every time that we get a flat tire doesn't mean um, something big. Sometimes it is an invitation just to say, life is difficult, life stinks sometimes, but let me see where God's growing me in the midst of it. It's this invitation to not feel like every bit of life is just this thing that's against us. That every moment we can learn from and grow from and reflect on. Now he goes on to say this, let perseverance finish its works that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. About a year ago, I began to incorporate this idea as part of my daily prayer life. And it sounds silly that I really didn't do that before. But part of my daily prayer, especially in the morning, pretty much is always just, God, give me wisdom. And sometimes I don't necessarily have a specific give me wisdom for this. But I oftentimes feel like God, God who generously gives this, um, I, I feel like we're missing out. Like I feel like, I'll use this example. When I was growing up, uh, there were some neighbors nearby um, who had a pool. And there were many times where I called and invited myself over to the pool. There were many times that I just showed up. I now live in an area where I don't have pools around me. If you have a pool, you can see me after church. Um, but I look back, and there's part of me that's like, man, I should have went more often. I should have just showed up more. They're, the Ralston is probably like, please don't. But I oftentimes think about how God has all this wisdom that he is freely inviting us to, that he wants to give us to, and yet many of us don't actually take him up on it. We don't ask for it. We don't look in God's word for it. You see, God is the source of all good wisdom. I oftentimes find that, 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 that when we have trouble, um, we, we, we just want instant answers, and oftentimes we want the answers that we want. And so I don't know about you, but like, there are people in my life who I know sometimes will hype me up to do things that I probably shouldn't do, 
And so every once in a while, yeah, there's been moments where I'm like, I'm going to call my friend right now because I know he's going to tell me this is a good idea. Every single one of us have an equal opportunity to experience and dive into the wisdom of God. Every single one of us have been given the scriptures. Every single one of us who desire and, and, and surrender to Jesus have the Holy Spirit living and residing inside of us. Every single one of us can ask for this. It's not as if God's got this list up here like, oh, Aaron asked for wisdom today. He's not on the list. Sorry about that. Every single one of us have this. But here's the thing. So many of us maybe ask for it, but then we do nothing with it. James says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, let me clarify this section for a moment. James is not saying that a follower of Jesus cannot deal with doubts. He's not saying that, that that's not okay. Scripture is pretty open about the fact Jesus, in his example, oftentimes invites people to, to wrestle with their doubts and come out with their doubts. What James is getting at, though, is how many of you guys have friends who ask your advice and over and over again, or maybe you have a child who does this, ask your advice and over and over again, they do the exact opposite. I have teased my wife sometimes that she will sometimes ask me for her opinion on like an outfit. She'll get out like five outfits, she tries it on, I tell her which one she likes, she then decides that she's gonna try on five more outfits that she didn't like any of them, I tell her which one I like, ultimately I feel like sometimes that is part of the decision to decide that that's not what she should wear. <laughs> and eventually she texts her mom and there we go. But I think some of us, it's almost like we don't want to take God's word. It's almost like we're like, hey, could you figure out something else? Like, rather than the love your neighbor thing, could we try something else? Are you sure about this generosity thing? Because greed doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> and yet we, we have to actually, if we're going to ask for these things, believe. When he's talking about this double-mindedness, this, this silliness, it's, it's more because it's like a person saying, like, I want this, but then they do nothing with it. You see, wisdom rooted in the Lord, though, it prevents us from being thrown by the waves of culture. Because here's the thing, culture will always tell you probably what you want to hear. It's always going to tell you to have another drink, <laughs> to have another late night snack, to it's just a, it's just a harmless DM, send it. It's always going to tell you to buy the thing and, and, and do whatever, whatever you want. Our culture is set up for you to engage your desires however you want. The hard part, though, is it throws you around like waves in the ocean over and over, going from one extreme to another extreme. In most of us, and I would say most of our world, what it needs is not constant shifting and changing, but it needs calm and steady. And wisdom helps slow us down and do that. In verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, friends, ultimately, if we were to change our, our mindset about life and trials and opposition, we would see that testing is training. That every time we are tested, it is a training opportunity for us to engage becoming more who God created us to 
And when we deal with these trials and these temptations, we have to stop getting mad at God for it all the time. Now, here's, here's the good news, right? God is not afraid of our anger. He, he, he actually, like, he can take it. He's fine with it. But I think we're misguided at it. James points this out, and I think it's really important for us to remember. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Anyone ever had that moment where, with the flat tire, with the, the loss of a job, with something where you're looking like, God, why are you picking on me? Why are you doing this to me? See, God is not tempting us. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, oftentimes when we deal with temptations, it is just the enemy basically rising up the desires that we have in our heart that aren't good, that we have not allowed God to sanctify, that we have not surrendered to him. And so when bad things happen, we don't have to look at God and say, what are you doing? Oftentimes what we need to do is look within and say, what's going on in here? Now he continues on by saying this, do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits that he all created. And this is the incredible thing, right? Every good thing that we have comes from God. He's the source of all this goodness. Why do we automatically then also assume that he would be these things that give us the bad things? But we have to be incredibly careful because, again, our desires are not something that we should trust as truths. And we should not allow our desires to deceive, distract, or destroy our focus on Jesus in our pursuit of becoming who he created us to be. But that can be really hard when we are not living rooted in wisdom and in relationship with God. James continues on by saying this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, this is one of the most important things that if, 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 if in all this series you, you get nothing else, um, you could meditate on these few verses for a long time. We live in a culture that is instantaneous. You know, I made the joke earlier about dial-up, right? Like every once in a while, if my computer takes more than like 10 seconds to load uh, like a, a web browser, like goodness gracious, like I, whew, the feeling inside of me is rough. We want instant results. We want to make decisions quickly. Our desires oftentimes invite us, just, just do it. Don't think about it, just do it. And here's the thing, I will admit, I, I picked on my wife, my, my poor wife, pray for her. I am a slow decision maker. Like I, I feel bad for her when she's trying to figure out what we're gonna eat for dinner. Um, goodness gracious, I can take a long time to decide, so I'm, I'm sorry. At least I'm good looking, right? Thank you, I was just checking. 
But there is something so important about most of the worst decisions, the foolish decisions I've made in my life have not been because I agonized over them for a long time and then finally made a decision. It was oftentimes because in the moment of my desires, of my temptation, I made a decision quickly. I said the words I wish I couldn't have said. I went to the place I shouldn't have went to. I encountered, I, I, I entered into a relationship or a, a interaction that I shouldn't have. Most of the times when we stop, when we slow down, things go better. Wisdom is slowing down and not only listening to God, but doing what he says. Again, there's this theme over and over that it's not enough just to know the good things of how we're supposed to live, but we actually have to put it into practice. Knowing it is not all that helpful if you're not actually doing it. James kind of drills down on this. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, and they will be blessed in what they do. See, there are tons of people that I have encountered who and I've been this way myself, who it's almost as if God has like handed us just a very obvious like, all right, here's all you got to do. It is very small. It is very simple. Just do these things and you'll be good. And yet we still are sort of like, so when you said love your neighbor, could you elaborate a little bit more? How hard and fast are you on this kind of sexual purity thing? Um. Are you sure that I can't just kind of live my own will in my own way and then get to the party in heaven later, right? And it's like this silly thing where it's like all we have to do is listen and do the things. I mean, it is, it is that simple, and I understand it is also really hard. But we overcomplicate it so much. Like almost to this point where it feels like we are, we are um, in a spelling bee and we're asking for all the different kind of like lifelines, right? Can you use it in a sentence, God? What's the origin of this? And in some ways, all we need to do is just actually take him at his word because listening and doing will lead to freedom. And it is that simple. When we listen to the words of Jesus and we actually follow through on what he says, it is wild how much we actually experience freedom. Like nothing in this world can give us. He wraps up the first chapter by saying this. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. We're going to talk more about our words in, in, in the coming weeks. But he says this, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the window, widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I love that he, he, he mentions this idea of what is... Um, what is like a pure and good like religion or relationship with our God? Um, the things I love is that he begins by saying what we need to be doing for others. And I don't think it's supposed to be an exhaustive list. I don't think it's supposed to be this thing where it's like, all right, if we take care of the widows and the orphans, everyone else who's got problems, sorry about ya. But it's this invitation to look at others because one of the best ways to actually grow in um, Christ-likeness is by thinking about others a lot more and dealing with things that are going on in their lives, not just in our own life. But he talks about keeping ourselves um, from being polluted by the world. 
The cost of living in, in the world that we live in is the fact that we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world where there are powers and principalities that are not the way of Jesus, where death and cancer and destruction and all sorts of things can happen. And there's so much that is out of our control, but there is so much that is in our control. And so as we, as we wrap up this morning, I want to leave you with, with just a, a three parting thoughts on, on kind of the, so what do we do with all of this? We, we've read these things, we, we're listening and doing, what do, what do we do with these things? And so the, these are just three things I, I'd leave us as, as, as maybe some thoughts for us to reflect on to become more wise, Christ-like people. Here's the first thing. Look for ways to be listening to God. That might sound really silly, but I oftentimes think so many people who tell me they don't hear from God is because they do not put themselves in positions to actually hear from God on a regular basis. It's sort of like the people who feel distant in a relationship from someone but never send a text, never make a phone call, never show up. No, duh, you don't feel close. You're not engaging in relationship. And so one of the things I, I, would, I, would, I would invite you to do is, is, is two main things. One, start reading God's word if you're not. One of the biggest ways that God speaks to us is through his word over and over again. Like the Bible is not one of those books that you read and then you're done and you sit on a shelf. It's something like my friend Chris was talking about earlier is that it's the, the more you read, the more you study, the more you learn, the more that God refines inside of us. And it's really important. And again, oftentimes the things that we are dealing with in our life, God's word has a lot to say about. Maybe it's not exactly the thing you're going through, but the principles and the character building is there. Do that. The other thing is just this. If you don't have a prayer life yet, I would encourage you, starting today or starting tomorrow, literally find a quiet place in your home, in your space. Set a timer for five minutes. Just close your eyes. And here, here's the thing. You don't, you don't even have to say anything to God. More often than not, when I, when I dive into my time of prayer, I, I do a method called PRAY, which stands for pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Pause and just, just let God speak to me. Whatever arises, arises. Rejoice, thank God, ask him, which we're pretty good at, and then yield has to do with this idea of surrender. But oftentimes for me, the most important parts of my daily prayer time is the pause. Because it oftentimes wells up inside of me things that I didn't realize. Things that I needed, things that are ugly that I need to cut out, or things that God just wants to say to me. So look for ways to be listening to God. Here's the second thing. When trials come, don't panic. Just pray for and pursue wisdom. Like, here's, here's one of the things. You should expect that even this week, something not awesome is going to happen. I almost guarantee you. Something you don't like. Someone's going to say something that's going to offend you. Someone's not going to show up in a way that you wish they would show up. Your kid isn't going to listen. Your spouse is going to feel distant. There's something is going to happen to you this week. Do not be surprised about it. Also, there's going to be things on the news, right? There are going to be people who are not true followers of Jesus who are going to do very unchristlike things. Don't panic. Jesus told us this stuff would happen. Instead, just pause and pray and ask for God's wisdom and actually live it out. And then here's the third thing and the final thing. Follow Jesus and find freedom. I know that sounds really simple, but it's so true. Some of us need to stop following our desires some of us need to stop following our desire to follow Jesus in a way that we want to follow. Because oftentimes, the way that we'd like to follow Jesus is void of surrender and sacrifice. 
when it comes to wisdom, probably the smartest decision you can do is to surrender to Jesus, to take him at his word, to lay everything down, to put the chips off forward and say, I'm banking on the fact that you know the right way, that your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are greater than my ways. And here's the most awesome thing. Some of you might be sitting in here thinking, you don't know my story. You think you're a fool. Look at my life. Look at the empty wells that I keep going back to. Look at these addictions that I can't kick. One of the things I want you to hear this morning that is such awesome news is that you are loved. That the God of all the universe who placed the stars in the sky, who parted the Red Seas, sees you. He says, even though you've made some dumb decisions, that's my son. That's my daughter. And my mercies are new each day. And good wisdom is just starting by saying, God, I need you. And I want to follow you. And I'm riding on the coattails of your son, Jesus. And here's the most awesome thing. You're going to continue to mess up. You're going to continue to fail. And you're going to continue to, at times, look like a fool. And the most incredible thing is that God is continuing, going to continue to forgive you and to invite you to follow him. So this morning, wherever you've come from, whatever you're dealing with, would you know that today could be the beginning to begin with wisdom by just surrendering to Jesus? I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me as the band's going to come out, and we're going to sing one last song. And during this song, would this be your invitation? Would this be your opportunity um, to speak to Christ in, in any manner, to ma- maybe for the first time ever surrender to him, maybe the first time in a long time, or maybe there's just something that God has arisen in, in your heart, in your life, that you know you got to deal with today. But may this not be a moment that just passes, but would this be a moment where everything changes? Let's pray. Father, we again are so grateful for um, your grace and your mercy. We're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for um, just the wisdom that we can have when we um, not only know but live out your will and your way. Father, this morning, I pray for friends in here who, Father, maybe are just dealing with this, these thoughts of like, I'm not worthy, I'm just too dumb, I can't do these things. I pray in the name of Jesus um, that you would just cast out those voices from the enemy that want to bring them down, that want them to live a life of foolishness. And would you remind them that their lives, that their souls were bought with a precious price, the blood of Jesus. Would they know that they are worthy and that they are loved? And Father, this morning, would sons and daughters come home? Would they sit at your table? Would they experience your goodness? So Father, in this time, speak to us. Give us courage to follow after you in whatever way that we need to. Give us wisdom that would help us actually live out this mandate to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Father, would nothing be unsettled this morning? Father, would you hear our heart cries? Would you open our ears and our hearts? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.